So I know sometimes hearing the word father simply stirs up all different kinds of emotions, all different kinds of memories. Fortunately um, for me, when I hear the word father, um, I had a great father. Uh, My dad was a a phenomenal father. Sure, did he do things that uh, maybe we disagreed with and he wanted to kill me at certain times? Absolutely. Um, But what relationship doesn't? But my dad, ultimately, he's been an incredible father, not just to me, but if if you know him, he's a father to many, many other people that aren't even um, his natural birth sons. My dad just has a heart of gold. I love him, and the thing that I love most about him is he's taught me so much about persistence. Um, my dad's been through, many of you guys know, he's, uh, been, he's walked through almost seven years of, of back and forth dealing with cancer. He was actually in Atlanta this past week. Um, they were taking stem cells out of his body. It's just a precautionary measure if something goes wrong in the future that they'll be able to inject his body with his own stem cells. So he sent me a picture. He's got a huge, you know, um, uh, uh, I guess big cord coming out of his, his neck there, out of his jugular vein, and he's making light of it. He's like, yeah, man, they pulled this out. I'll bleed to death in three minutes and be gone. You know, it's pretty cool. I'm like, that's not cool. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I love my dad. I have great memories of my dad, but... I know for some of you, I would be naive to think that everybody had the kind of dad that I did. Um, when I look back at my dad, um, he, he always reminds me, he said, you know, Father's Day is a happy and a sad day for me. He said, I'm happy that I get to enjoy my family and my sons and my daughter. Um, but my dad's father, my grandfather, actually took his life. And um, so for my dad, Father's Day has always been a very difficult kind of day for him. You know, man, who do I pick up the phone? Who do I call? Who do I wish Happy Father's Day? And I realize that today, um, some of you are in that boat. You know, maybe, maybe your father didn't take his life, but maybe he wasn't there for you. Maybe he didn't know you. Maybe um, you were the one kid at the baseball games just wishing that your dad would, would show up. And listen, so I know that Whatever side of the spectrum that you fall on today, whether you had a great dad or whether you had a bad dad or whether you had a a dad that maybe came into your life later on in your life, wherever you fall in the spectrum, today I want to point you to a father who does not come as somewhat of a good father or a bad father, but ultimately he's been persistent, he's been consistent, even when you felt like he hasn't been there for you, Jesus ultimately is the good father that is always there for us. And the truth is, the thing that defines a good father is somebody that learns to be a good shepherd of their flock. Someone who can pastor and lead, someone who can um, point their family in the right direction when they're in stress. A father is ultimately somebody who knows how to not just be tough dads, we gotta get this, it's not just about being tough, but also learning to be tender in those moments. Um, I'm reminded of my little girl who came out, um, Claire was, I don't remember where she was, she was somewhere, and Amelia is, all the kids are sleeping, and usually once all of our kids go down to sleep, there's still one that's always up, like stirring around, who will eventually wake everyone else up, so it can be quite frustrating, so I'm sitting, I'm reading a book in the chair, and uh, it's probably 9, 9.30 at night, and she comes out, and you know, you got to understand something, this is probably the 10th time she's come out, okay, so she comes out, and she's like, Dad, I'm scared, and so I pray for you, I pray for her, like, for the fifth time, and also after I pray for her, I was like, okay, Jesus, be with Amelia, help her not to be scared, and if you come out again, I will whip you, <laughs> go back into your bed, all right, so, so she comes out again, like, this is like the 11th time, and she's bawling, crying, And I'm like, 
Okay, I have two um, responses in this moment. I can be infuriated because I'm trying to finish this book. This is the 12th time she's come out. I feel like she's ignoring what I've told her to do. And she's crying and she just says, I just need to tell you something. So my heart, in immediate in that moment, it's this tender moment. I'm okay, okay, babe, what do you need to tell dad? She's like, I just need to tell you that the new Beauty and the Beast is on the television. Can we please download it? I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) But there is this thing that makes good fathers. It's tough when you need to be tough, and it's tender when you need to be tender. I think sometimes as men, we have this exterior that kind of we put on, and I think it's based on maybe the life experiences that we've had, but sometimes we feel like we have to be tough in every single situation. And the truth is, Jesus doesn't even model that. He doesn't. Jesus was tough when he had to be. When he had to, he grabbed the whip, and he went, and he beat people. But he was also tender. You also see him at funerals, crying with people, putting his arms around people, loving people, being compassionate with one another. Oftentimes, he leaned towards being tender. The only time Jesus was tough was with the religious people. So he knew when he had to be tough, but oftentimes, he was extremely tender. And I know sometimes, men, we, we see this example and we say, how in the world am I ever going to live up to that? I mean, I look at my dad and I say, man, I, I hope that I can be half the man that he is at some point in my life. And I know sometimes as men, I think the greatest thing that we struggle with is that we're not enough sometimes. I can never be good enough or I'll never be able to be like Jesus or I'll never be able to be the father that God wants me to be. So all I want to do today, I don't want to, I'm not here to hammer down on dads. I'm not here to tell you that you're doing a horrendous job and you need to step up and be a man and do better. That's not what I'm here today to do. Ultimately, I want to point you to the good father who ultimately can teach you how to be the father that you need to be and ultimately that your family needs you to be. But before we start that, let's read the scripture verse in John 10, chapter 10, verse 10 through 11. And I think we got to get this before we realize anything else. In John 10, starting in verse 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So dads, there is an enemy that wants to rip apart your family. I have come that they may have life, this is Jesus talking, and have it to the full. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I love this because what he's saying is the enemy comes like a thief in the night. He wants to wreck everything that you've ever built and all the things that you've done in your family. But then Jesus comes in, he says, but I'm the good shepherd. I stand over the family. I stand over my loved ones and I shepherd them and I protect them. This was Jesus' favorite description of himself. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus never referred to himself as he never came up on the scenes and said, hi, I'm Lord of the universe. Like, he just never did that. Oftentimes, he referred to himself, the most times in the New Testament, as a shepherd. What is your role? What is your job? I'm not just a rabbi, but I am a shepherd. The Bible uses several metaphors to describe the relationship between Jesus and his church. And this is how they kind of describe it. Jesus is the father, and the church is the family, which means this isn't about an organization, but it's about relationships. This isn't about what kind of building we meet in. This isn't about what kind of facility, what the facilities look like. It's not about any of that. Jesus is saying this. Ultimately, at the end of the day, my role is to be your father, and you are to be my sheep, and I am to shepherd over you. 
Because I know about the enemy. I know about the things that want to attack you. I know about the things that want to rip apart your family, your personal life, and all those things. But if you stay in my family, if you stay within the church, I can be there to shepherd you, guard you, and protect you. Ultimately, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the shepherd and the church is the flock. So if you get anything today, ultimately, Jesus wants you to understand that he's your pastor. It's not just me, but ultimately my pastor, yeah, I have a pastor who is my father, but ultimately all of our pastors is Jesus, right? Ultimately, what Jesus is saying, I want, not only I want to be your pastor, I want to be your shepherd, but I want to be your father. Now, if you know anything about a father, um, yes, they can be tough. Yes, they can be tender, but at the, at the same time, they also discipline, don't they? And when they discipline, it doesn't feel good. I, I, my dad used to always tell me well, after he would spank us, right before he would, well, right before he would spank us, he said, son, I want you to know this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm like, well, give me the paddle. Let me whip you with it, and we'll see if it hurts who more, you know. But having my own kids, I understand that now. I truly do. I, I, I've never enjoyed a spanking. Ever. Well, I take that back. Maybe a few times I have. <laughs> I have told you 11th. No, no. I'm just kidding. I'm not that father. Maybe. Um, anyway, back to the message. But at the end of the day, I think the main reason that people reject, I'll just be honest with you, the main people, people reject the authority of Jesus over the church sometimes. And the reason that the church becomes a threat to them, because ultimately what happens is if you stay in long enough, discipline happens. And nobody likes discipline in the season. It doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't feel good after you spank your child. My, my, my child has never walked away after spanking and be like, Dad, just listen, you're awesome. Thanks for the spanking. That was an awesome spanking. I just want to appreciate you for that spanking. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Just whip me again whenever you feel like it. Like, this never happened, right? But in the moment after it's all done, they realize, okay, my sin the things that I've done have consequences, and the discipline reminds them, okay, it re pushes me back to the place that I need to be. And ultimately, that is the job of a father. That's the job of Jesus. That's the job of your pastor who is Christ. Ultimately, he's to come along. Yes, he tenderly leads us, but he also sometimes lovingly disciplines us. And sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it doesn't feel good, and sometimes we say, ouch, why is this happening? But at the end of the day, he always has our good in mind. A good father always spanks his child, knowing that at the other end, if I don't spank him, he's going to run into greater danger down the road. This is the reason that we discipline. This is the reason that we course correct. This is the reason that we say, don't run into the street, sometimes with a very loud voice. It's not that we're trying to be angry or, or loud at our children. It's ultimately we see the danger, they don't, so we shout out, get out of the road. Psalms 103, it says this, Know the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So let me tell you why I like this. Because the closest word to shepherd in the New Testament is pastor. So here's what Jesus is saying. Every single person in this room needs a pastor. At the end of the day, we need somebody that can lead us, that can course correct. And ultimately, he's talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, at the end of the day, everybody needs a shepherd, which is me, who needs, not me, but Jesus, who needs a father to course correct them, to lead them, to shepherd them. 1 Corinthians, I referenced it at the very beginning. It says this in chapter 4. 
It says, for though you have countless guides in Christ. Let me stop there. So though you may be in a life group, though you may be in community, though you may have friends that can lovingly lead you and point you in the right direction, watch this. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So here's what he's saying. You don't just need community. You don't just need to be involved in close relationship with people here in the church. You need people that are probably a little bit older than you, that love you enough, that are not impressed by you one bit, that can look at you and say, I'm concerned for you, and I'm not just going to tell you this because I want to bring you down. I'm going to tell you this because I love you, and I know that you can get to the next level. That's what a father does. A father takes a risk in the relationship. By me saying this to my son or daughter, I could risk them being extremely offended at me. But you know what? I'm going to put that relationship at risk because I know this, that ultimately the truth is more important than me offending them. That at the end of the day, I'm going to look at them in the eyes and say, look, I'm concerned about you. I know this may be offensive to you. I know this may hurt your feelings and your emotions. But at the end of the day, I love you so much. I have to tell you this. Because I see you going down a path that is going to do nothing good for your soul. It's going to destroy you in the end. That's what a father does. And you know what we've gotten too wrapped up into today in this society? We've become so emotionally correct. Well, if I say that, they're going to be offended. Sometimes, you know what a father does? So what? So what? I love them enough that I will offend them. I love them enough that I will pull them off of the road that is burning with fire so that ultimately I can bring them back to a place that they need to be. A father not only guides us as a true father, but a father what? He provides for us. He restores us. He leads us. He supports us. He defends us. He blesses us. See, ultimately, dads, you can model your life after Jesus because he does all of these things. So I want you to leave here today with a pastor, understanding that Jesus is your pastor and ultimately that he wants to be your father who lovingly course corrects you and directs you in the times that you most need it. But I think the most beautiful description in all of the Bible of a shepherd or of a pastor is in Psalms 23. And uh, most of us know this, this, this scripture, right? If you've grown up in church uh, long enough, you know this passage. So I'm going to read it. And I want you to notice something in this passage. How many times it references he makes. So just, just keep that out there, okay? Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now watch this. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So ultimately, what I want to do is I want to take that passage, and I want to talk through about six different things that we see if we remain under the covering of a shepherd, how Jesus is actually going to protect us, defend us, be with us, and bless us, and the list goes on. 
Psalms 23 verse 1 starts off with saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So number one, first point, the shepherd provides. The shepherd provides for the sheep, which is you and me. The Hebrew word for this means, I will lack nothing. I will lack nothing. And some of you are thinking, no way, pastor. I've served Jesus long enough, and that whole adage, it doesn't add up for my life. Because there's certainly been times in my life when I have absolutely lacked everything. <laughs> I've lacked finances, I've lacked resources, I've lacked relationships, whatever it is. And you read a verse like this, and you say, how could it be true for my life? The truth is, we've all struggled, and I believe that those times ultimately are developing, Jesus is developing our character, and at the end of the day, we can declare that he is a faithful God when he says, you will lack nothing. Oftentimes he's saying, I will lack nothing, you will lack nothing that you really need. The essentials of life. So let me put it to you this way. My kids don't worry about anything because they know they have a dad that will take care of them. Meaning this, my kids don't wake up in the morning going, oh my gosh, how are we going to get food today? Now, when I was in Kenya a few weeks ago, you definitely have kids that wake up and say, I don't know what we're going to eat today. Or kids that wake up just getting used to it. I haven't eaten in three days, and I'll probably eat in about two more days. It's normal life for them. But most kids, most kids in America, with the exception of some, but most kids in America do not wake up in the morning saying, how in the world am I going to survive today? Most kids, their essentials are taken care of. My, my, my child don't, doesn't wake up in the morning saying, man, I don't, I don't have underwear to wear today. I don't have clothes to wear. Ultimately, at the end of the day, they're provided for and they're taken care of. But I want you to notice the analogy that I'm trying to use here. They're taken care of because they remain underneath the shepherd's house. They remain in, underneath the father's care. Now, if any one of my sons who was eight years old and got mad at me and said, Dad, I'm running away, I'm taking my tent, and I'm going to live by myself. He would understand in about two hours, he would come knocking on the door, begging to come back in. First of all, it's South Louisiana. Oh my God, it's so hot. <laughs> I, tried to, <laughs> I tried to run away one time when I was about 10 years old. I'm like, I'm packing my tent, I had my, my backpack, and I'm leaving. I remember it was in the middle of summer, it was summer vacation, and my dad's like, I remember to my surprise, like, all right, son. Well, you're going to need a backpack. You're probably going to need some extra underwear, and you're going to need some shoes. I was like, oh, he's like, legit, all right, I'm getting out of here. And I remember about two hours, he knew that I was, there was a wood, some woods, like right by our house, and we had a clubhouse, and I remember crying in the clubhouse. I'm like, I'm going to live out in the clubhouse. I'll fish in the stream. That was like the poo-poo stream. You don't fish in that stream right there. I was like, I'll fish in the stream. I'm going to live on my own. I'm like 10 years old. I remember the dead of probably like June, dead of summer, I'm like, this, no, I'm not cut out for this life. I need to go back. I need to go back to my, I remember knocking on the door and I'm like, dad, I'm, I'm ready to come home. I'm so thirsty. He said, well, son, there's a water hose outside. <laughs> what? I thought he would like kick me out. But ultimately what happened in that moment, I realized, man, there is provision underneath the shepherd's care. You know why some of you don't feel provided for and that you don't feel taken care of is because you continuously run outside of the shepherd's care. You continuously, this ultimately, the church is not just an organization. It is a place, it's almost like an umbrella that keeps you underneath this 
protection, ultimately, by the Father, by Jesus. This is why the church was designed and created, so that you could stay under provision. And when I say provision, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about spiritual provision. Everything that you need, that you could be emotionally sound, as long as you stay underneath the Father's care. Philippians 4.9 puts it this way, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So you may be asking, how do I get underneath that? How do I get underneath that care? How do I get underneath that provision? My kids will constantly stay under the flow of blessings of their father as long as the relationship with their dad stays right. Right? If they get all, one day it will happen, but as soon as they leave the house, they'll understand how much it actually takes to survive in this world, right? Remember, I got out in, in college the first year and just have a revelation of, oh my gosh, a gallon of milk is four fifty. Are they crazy? How, how am I going to eat? What am I going to do? You realize really quickly. I don't have one up here with me, and, but just imagine it for a moment. How many of you have ever been in the middle of a rainstorm, but all of a sudden you remember um, in your car you have an umbrella and you're like, oh my gosh, thank the Lord. You open that umbrella, and as long as you stay underneath that umbrella, you stay dry, right? There is this protection underneath it. And here's the truth. Dads, fathers, the church is like the umbrella. As long as you keep your family plugged in, serving, committed to their relationship with Jesus, there is provision there. There is protection there. That when the enemy tries to come and tries to rob your family and begins to try to rip things apart, I'm not saying that it can't happen in the middle of the church, but here's the thing. As long as you remain underneath that umbrella of people in the church, if you will let them love you as they ought to, they will come in and hopefully they can begin to push you back to a loving Jesus that can restore you. There is protection underneath this umbrella. Ultimately, there's community under the umbrella. There's friendship. There's spiritual leadership. There's guidance. See, provision remains when you remain underneath spiritual care, which happens within the context of church. So the second thing that we see out of the Psalms is this. In Psalms 23, verse 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he continues. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. So number two, the shepherd restores. You ever wonder when you read that verse, and maybe you've recited it your whole life, and maybe it didn't poke out to you at first, but I've always wondered this when I read this verse, which caused me to dig deeper into it, is do you ever wonder why God makes you lie down? Like, why does it say, the shepherd makes me lie down? Why does it say that? Like, why doesn't it just say, like, God, in, he, I laid down beside him or something? But it says, the shepherd makes me lie down. Because here's the truth, because you won't do it by yourself. You ever had a two-year-old trying to put the bed, lay down, <laughs> lay down, like, take the bottle, lay down? Okay, you need some assistance laying down. Because <laughs> he's not going to do it by himself. And oftentimes in this life, we can be so stubborn that sometimes the shepherd has to make us lay down. He has to make us go, okay, I need this protection. I need this leadership. I need this father figure. God, do something. 
So what ends up happening? He causes circumstances in our life, and he makes us lay down. Here's, I heard a pastor say it like this one time. He said, look, we can either lay down by our own free will, or we can live out Psalms 23, where he will make us lay down. <laughs> Hopefully, I can get to the place where I say, okay, God, I, I surrender. That's it. I'll do it by myself. Sometimes he has to make us rest because we're so busy. You know, green pastures were the place where a shepherd would lead the sheep to feed. And the truth is, so many of us right now in this life, we're walking around in dry pastures with no water. And the truth is, you need a shepherd to break your legs and lead you to greener pastures. Sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we have to walk. Listen, I I, I love, um, sometimes... um, (laughs) I'm hard-headed. My wife and I are both very strong-willed people. Like if somebody's like, Zach, I think you need to do this way. You're like, yeah, thank you. I'm going to do it this way. (laughs) And sometimes I've learned through the circumstances of my own life where God has had to literally sweep the rug out from underneath me going, okay, have you learned yet? Okay, I get it now, God. But he's brought me so low, not because he hates me, not because he's mad at me, because at the end of the day, sometimes he has to make me lay down to realize what I have underneath the protection and care of the shepherd. When is the last time you sat on the hillside and just fed on God's word? Taking time to sit back and, man, I know it's a busy world and it's a busy life. But am I allowing the shepherd to lead me? Or if you're not allowing the shepherd to lead you, here's what's even scarier. You're leading yourself. You're leading yourself. And the truth is we see all throughout the scripture as we lead ourselves, we know where that path leads. We know what road that takes us down. It's never to greener pastures. Ultimately, it's always to a dry and barren land. So sometimes it's just us having to go, okay, God, let me quiet everything else around my life. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, like, you just, you like to get things done? Anybody, like, you just, anybody, like, oh, I just love to just sit around and do nothing? Like, some people, they, some people, like, yeah, I love to sit around and do nothing. (laughs) But most people... They like to look at their life and say, okay, if I don't have, my wife, if she doesn't have, like, certain things that she's doing today, it's not a good day. Like, she has to accomplish something. If I can just check off something, I, I got to do something today. And that's not a bad thing. But sometimes what happens, if you're especially that personality, here's what happens. You get so driven on the fact that I have to do something, and you stay so busy that you forget that, hey, I need to be led by the shepherd and not my own tasks. Like, God, what do you want me to do today? God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, how do you want to shape my life? And if we're not careful, what ends up happening is we say, no, 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 God, hold on, time out. I got these tasks. I got these things over here that I need to do. I got these things going on in my life. And the reason that we can't stop, listen to this, the reason that you can't stop is because you're defined by the things that you're doing. And as soon as those things get moved away, you don't know who you are anymore. Because you don't know who you are in the shepherd. You don't know who you are when the Father's leading you. You only know yourself when you're leading yourself. And the truth is, God wants to bring us back to a greener pasture where there's water. I don't know if you know this about sheep, but they're pretty dumb. (laughs) They really are. It's why they need a shepherd. The Hebrew meaning of restore ultimately is this, is to return back to the point of departure. 
So here's what God's saying. I want to bring you back to that place when you first encountered my love. I want to bring you back to that pasture when the grass was so green and you encountered salvation for the first time and you felt so alive in this relationship. I want to bring you back there. The third thing that we see in Psalms 23, verse 3, it says, He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So number three, the shepherd leads. As you live life, there's tons of choices out there, and sometimes you don't know what path to take, but there is a path that if you took it, has God's name on it, that it is the right path for you to take. Because the place that the Father will take you will always lead to overflowing joy. Sheep without a shepherd, as I said earlier, oftentimes are pretty stupid. Turn to your neighbor and say, I always knew you needed a shepherd. (laughs) Here's the truth. I don't know if you know this about sheep, but sheep actually are so dumb that they will go down to the water, defecate in the water, wee-wee in the water, (laughs) all this kind of stuff, and then drink the same water over and over again until they kill themselves. And they don't realize it. They don't realize it's what they're doing. Sheep oftentimes will try to go off by themselves, wander off by themselves, do their own thing. Hey, I think I can find greener pastures on my own. And they always end up dying. And the truth is, I, I, I find it quite interesting that Jesus over and over uses the analogy of sheep and the shepherd. Like, Jesus, are you saying I'm dumb? <laughs> like, what, what are you saying here? No, what he's saying is that all of us have a tendency to wander. All of us have a tendency to say, I think greener pastures are over there, and I'm just going to go explore it myself. All of us have that tendency, right? All of us have that tendency to wander. All of us have that tendency for our thoughts to go to another place. All of us have that. That's happened ever since Genesis chapter 3. The analogy, the metaphor that Jesus is using is you need a shepherd to keep you on the right course so that you don't continuously wander off. So people ask me this all the time. We do this You Ask For It series um, every September where basically we, we, we pull every single person in the church and we say, if you could hear one question that we could preach on and you could have that question answered, what would it be? We'll do it again in September. But the number one, every single time for the past two years that we've done it, every single time, number one question that I get is, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know that I'm on the right path? How do I know that I am doing what God wants me to do? And I'm going to tell you really quick, John 10, verse 3 through 5. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow, watch this, a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. So this is how you know if you're living in the will of God. You can answer it very quickly. How well do you know the voice of God? And the only way that you're going to know the voice of God, as long as you stay underneath the spiritual care of the shepherd... And the only way that you get to know the voice of God is by spending time with God. And if you can't hear the voice of God, then you'll never know the will of God. So here's the truth. If you want to know the will of God, you have to know what the shepherd's voice sounds like. If you don't know what it sounds like, you'll never know the will of God. You never will. It says this in the scriptures that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Hey, come on, over here. And it says when a stranger comes up into the pack, hey sheep, Come this way. I got something better for you. 
says, well, you're not my shepherd. Why should I go with you? No, I'm going to stick with the pack over here. My shepherd told me to stay over here, so this is where I'm going to be. This is where I need to stay. See, it says that the enemy comes, what? Like a roaring, crouching, deceiving lion who wants to pick us off one by one. But if you know what the shepherd's voice sounds like, you know, you go, nope, sticking my ground right here. I'm staying with the flock. Me and my buddies, we're, ha- we're eating good grass right here. Because the shepherd is leading us. How many of you guys have that friend? Um, when they, well, we have iPhones now, so you, can, you have caller ID. Thank God. Um, but if anybody remembers the day, remember when somebody would just, you'd pick up the phone, they'd be like, hey. And they don't have to say, hey, this is Zach. Hey, this is so-and-so. You just knew immediately when they said, hey, you know who it was. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You knew it was that friend. That's how good Jesus wants you to know his voice. That when you hear those small, still whispers that you want to bury down so deep because you know that if you obey that, it's going to take some pain. But when you hear those still, small whispers, you go, oh man, that's my shepherd speaking. I know this is going to hurt, but I, I need to lean into that. I need to obey that. I need to follow that. I know it's going to suck. I know it's going to bring some pain. I know it's going to bring some things that are not going to feel good. But I'm going to listen to that whisper, to that voice. So that's the question. How, how, how much time are we spending to hear the Father's voice? And tragically, most Christians only spend time with God once a week. And you know when they do it? Right here. And we go and we live out our week and we say, man, why is life so difficult? Why is it so hard? It's because we're not staying with the shepherd on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. So number four, Psalms 23, verse four, it says, Yea, though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Number four, the shepherd supports us. You know, one of the most beautiful things that I got to witness this past week is I, I was a part of two funerals this week. And one of the coolest things is to see people all throughout the church reaching out to the families who lost loved ones in the church. I did, I did a funeral of a woman who's phenomenal, served in our kids' apartment since day one. She was only 50 years old, passed away. And it's tragic, and it's heartbreaking, but the most wonderful thing about it is they were a family that was plugged in, that was connected, and all of a sudden, you see this army of support from the church. What do you need? What can we do? How can we help you? How can we support you? And you see immediately in those moments, like, man, I, I don't just, the church is not just a place that I want to go. The church is a place, I need the church. At the end of the day, this is a place that I need to root myself. 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 17 says this. No one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. There's going to be moments in your life where you're going to feel just like that scripture. There's going to be moments in your life and say, man, has everybody forgotten about me? Does anybody care that I still exist? Does anybody care about my issues, my problems? People may look at you and they may judge you and say, I can't believe she's doing this or I can't believe he's doing that. Just write them off right now. They'll come to their awakening in a little bit. And you're going to feel like moments in that everybody deserted me. Everybody left me. Nobody cares about me. But the thing that I love what Paul says in this verse, he says, but the Lord stood at my side. 
So even when life at times feels like every single person has left you, everyone's deserted you, the Father is still standing next to you saying, not everyone. <laughs> not everyone. And as you begin to lean on that relationship, what does he do? He nurses us back to health. He brings us back into healthy community. He brings us back to a place that we can feed once again, a place that we can get healthy, a place that we can get cleaned up. At the end of the day, we all need to know that the shepherd is near, right? At the end of the day, when you're at the graveside standing over your loved one, the shepherd is there. When you're at the courtroom not knowing how this is going to end, the shepherd is there. When you're at the emergency room not knowing what the diagnosis is going to be, the shepherd is there to support you and guide you and lead you. Number five, I love this one. Because I love this piece of the scripture because I don't think most of us realize it. So I just get excited about this one. Psalms 23 verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's odd. That's really odd. In modern day context, it'd be like my eight-year-old reciting the scripture, Father, your belt comforts me. It's basically what it'd be saying. Your paddle is just strength to my soul. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, let me take a moment because some of you have been a part of churches where you feel like, oh, I got the rod at that place. And that preacher got up there and he spit fire and lava and told me if I don't change, I'm going to split the, the ground of hell wide open. And maybe you were at a place before where you felt so condemned. You feel like, oh my gosh, I can't ever be open. I can't ever be honest with anyone. And maybe you read this verse and you're rod and your staff. That's right, the rod and the staff. I've felt the rod and the staff from the church people. I've felt the rod and the staff from God. I felt like he's just beat me down at times. I don't know if you know this, but the rod in the scripture, if you read it in context, the rod was never intended for the sheep. The rod was intended for the wolves. The rod was never intended to beat the sheep. The rod was intended to beat the enemy off by the shepherd. So here's what you have to get about this scripture, about this context. The wolf is not afraid of you. The enemy, the, the enemy that crouches around, that wants to tear your family apart, the enemy that wants to bring havoc and destruction to your soul, he's not scared of you. There's a real powerful presence of darkness that lays out there before us, and it is not scared of you at all. There's a place in scripture, and I actually find it quite comical, it was the seven sons of Sceva, it says that, they, that these men were watching Paul and, and Timothy cast out demons, and so they're going, oh man, we can cast out demons just like them, well, let's go over here, let's cast some demons out, and so Paul, and they would just, in the name of Jesus, come out, and demons would just come out of these people, and so these seven sons of Sceva, they say, all right, let's go, let's go do this ourselves, and it says they walk up to these men who are demon-possessed, and it says, in the name of Jesus, come out. And it says the demons manifested right there, and it says, Paul, we, it says, Jesus we know, and Paul we've heard of, but who are you? And it says, in that moment, it beat, those demons beat those seven sons of Sceva, handed it to them. They were probably like, man, we are never trying this again. 
So, so what, do we, what do we prove in that story that ultimately, at the end of the day, the enemy is not scared of us at all? So here's what this means. The only way that you're going to be protected is by staying underneath the shepherd who's the only one that holds the rod, who is the only one that can beat off the enemy. Fathers, this is where we learn from our example who is Jesus. This is where, how we learn to defend and protect our wives and our, our families from the shepherd. The rod is not there to say, oh, submit woman, or you do this, or you do that, or I am the man. No, the rod is there for you to hold to beat off the wolves. Man, when these emotions come in and say, no, 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 we're not going to sit in these. We're not going to sit with these emotions. When you see a child that's struggling and you know that the enemy is begging for their soul, that you take time out of your day to, okay, we're going to spend 30 minutes, we're going to talk through this, we're going to work through this. That's you using the rod appropriately. The truth is you're no match to the forces of darkness. You need a shepherd that beats off the wolves. And ultimately that shepherd is Jesus. You need a father that knows when the enemy is coming and protects you from the enemy that wants to devour you. I've learned this from being a father, especially a father to my daughter. Every night I pray with her and we pray almost the same prayer every single night and I always throw this thing in with Jesus Thank you for this day. Now protect our hearts. Let us have a good sleep today. And for Amelia, that she won't get married until she's 37. Amen. <laughs> like, I am, to- I, it may be different from my wife, but I'm, I look at my boys and I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, man, you get married one day, it's going to be great. I'm excited for you. I look at my little girl and I'm like, there's not a single man on the face of the earth that is good enough to marry her. I'm just telling you right now. Nobody. There's a, one of my favorite stories I think my dad had told her before. But uh, he tells the story about a father who um, his daughter is going to prom for the first time. It's her first date. And this young man shows up at the, at the door. And he's like, you know, he's dressed up real nice. He's all clean cut. He looks like a good guy. He's in his tuxedo. He's got, he borrowed his parents' Corvette. And uh, so he grabs the daughter. And they're walking out. And um, the dad looks at the young man. He says, hey. And she, he's about to put her in the car door. And he throws a bullet at him. And the, the young man catches the bullet. He says, what's this for? He said, if you put a hand on her, the next one's coming a whole lot faster. He's like, oh, God, yes, sir. <laughs> like, just puts it in the car. I want to be that dad. I want to be that dad. I, like, I'm not afraid. I will make you feel like the lowest scum on the face of the earth if you show up to my door. Like, yo, what's up? I'm here to date your dog. Uh, click. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but the truth is, why do we feel this innate sense, especially for our little girls? Because we feel like it's our responsibility to protect them, right? To defend them, because we know the evil that lies out there. We want to protect, and we want to protect that innocence that God's given them. And so at the end of the day, if we understand that same small little sense that you have for your children to defend them and protect them, you have to understand that it is magnified by a hundred billion, the sense that the Father has for us. And sometimes when it feels like God is dragging on us and tugging us, all it is is simply saying, you're standing in the middle of the road and you're about to get hit by a car and I need to pull you out of the road. But I don't want to get out of the road. And God is reaching in saying, I know this feels painful, but trust me, I know what's on the other side of this. And it's a whole lot better than where you're standing 
right now. The shepherd defends us. John 10, 11 says this, ultimately at the end of the day, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, God defended us in the ultimate manner, didn't he? That when he went and he died on the cross that day, that it was, it was Jesus coming to a place saying, I will do whatever I need to do to defend my sheep. If it requires me laying down my life so that they could be free, so that they can walk in a free standing relationship with my father, then so be it. He lays down his life for his sheep. Psalms 23, 5 goes on to say, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies? Here's what this means. Jesus says, you can sit down in peace and have joy even when war is going on around you and you can be in this moment, you can be okay, you can be peaceful because I'm your shepherd and I'm fighting your battles. You can eat your meal in this moment. You can enjoy life. As long as you stay underneath the protection of the shepherd, you can have war and chaos going on all around you, but you can still live in joy because you know what, man, God's before me. God's fighting my battles. I don't know the answers to all of life's questions, but I do know one thing. I have a good shepherd who is fighting on my behalf. It's the only way that I can describe it in a modern day context would simply be this. I mean, every single night we go down and we lay down in bed and there are still men and women on the front lines fighting for our freedom here in America so that we could be free, right? It's the equivalent of what Jesus does for us. That every single night, as long as we remain underneath the care and protection of our shepherd, when we lay down our head on the pedal, that we have a shepherd that is fighting for us. Number six. I'm going to close with this one. Number six. Psalms 23, verse 5 through 6. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So number six, the shepherd blesses. The shepherd blesses. Some of you think that God is a withholder, but that is the furthest from the truth. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God is a giver. At the end of the day, if you stay underneath the protection of the shepherd, God's goodness will chase you down. I can look back on, under certain things in my life and just go, wow. Wow. Remember a few years ago, Claire and I were driving a, a van, Honda Odyssey, and uh, it wasn't doing so well. <laughs> it's like, it, have you ever seen um, uh, Finding Nemo? When we would turn the wheel, and you know that sound that she would be like, <laughs> that's what our van sounded like. It was like every time we'd turn the wheel, it was like, Wah! and you just, like, you have people on the side, you're like, don't look at them. <laughs> don't look at them. And we're going, man, okay, we know the van can last a little bit longer. We don't really want to take out a loan for a car note. Start plucking, okay, God, this is in your hands. What are we going to do? A month later, just through crazy circumstances, God gives us a van. It wasn't somebody that said, hey, here's an old van that we can just give you. Literally, it's brand new, brand new van. Somebody says, hey, we just felt like God wanted us to give this to you. Wait, what? What? And I can honestly say, you know, the thing, I think the reason that that kind of stuff happens to us all the time 
It's because we choose to stay underneath the protection of the shepherd. It's not because we're luckier than other people. It's not, it's not even because I'm a pastor. I've seen it all throughout the body of Christ. People that remain underneath the protection of the shepherd, there's blessings that follow. You just live, ultimately, at the end of the day, you live a life that is blessed. If you stay underneath the protection of the shepherd, his goodness will chase you down. Let me close with Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. It says, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. So what do we do with all this? How do we close this out? What do we do with all this? I need a shepherd. I, I know that I need a father. I know that I need a pastor. What do I do? Number, thing that, number one thing that we do is we run to the body of Christ and say, oh God, I want to know you. Right after this service is over, and we, I preach this message intentionally knowing that we're going to have this expo right after service. Right after this service, there's an opportunity for every single person in here to get involved in a life group. We do three different semesters all throughout the year. We do a spring semester, a summer semester, and a fall semester. We break it up because we always want to give people that maybe weren't in a group in the last semester to get involved. And so this is your opportunity. As soon as you walk out of these doors, they're going to have a table set up, and you can literally look. Um, you can meet the leaders. You can sign up for the group right then and there. Get involved. This is the bread and butter of everything that we do here at OSC. And let me tell you this. Summer is the best time to get in a life group. Two reasons why. Number one, it's just it happens every single summer. Every summer, attendance is a little slower. People are going on vacation. People are doing baseball games. People got all kinds of things going on. And so one of the best things that you can do if, man, you got things going on, you're going out of town, you're going on vacation, you're going to miss Sundays, you can still be plugged in and connected to the church through life groups. Just because we've got things going on and life going on, it doesn't mean that we can't stay connected to the vine. It doesn't mean that we can't stay connected to the body of Christ, the church, the thing that guides us and leads us and protects us. That's why life groups are so important because it's literally an extension of Sunday mornings on a much more deeper and personal level. So I just want to encourage every single person out here, make sure you stop by the, that life group table on the way out and si sign up for a group. If you miss it for some reason, if you're running off to Father's Day lunch, you don't have time to stick around, if you go to oscconnect.com, you're going to find a little tab on there that says life groups and you want to find out more, just click on that. We've literally got all the groups online and you can even see, it's got the address. You can contact the leader through there. You can send them an email, text message, call them, whatever you want to do. It's all organized on our website. That way